0: there and welcome to the next episode of how good it is a weekly podcast that takes a look at popular songs of the past and dives into their history their meaning or any other things that might be of interest surrounding those songs my name is claude call and i'm still fighting the bug here i don't know if you want to get in touch with me, probably the best way is to find me on Twitter at HowGoodItIsPod, or you can leave a comment on the website, HowGoodItIs.com, where you can find some additional trivia, some follow-ups, and other stuff that I found interesting. And don't forget to check out and follow the show's Facebook page, which is where all the action is. It's over at Facebook.com slash it is pod. In the early and mid-1960s, Motown Records had a publicity tactic of packaging concert tours of its artists and occasionally performers from other labels around the country. Pretty much their entire roster would go out and perform, with the established artists publicized as the headliners, and the up-and-coming acts would get an opportunity to get some exposure and develop their live performance skills. And it was during a Motortown review that Stevie Wonder finally scored his first hit. Stevie Wonder was born in Saginaw, Michigan in 1950. He was the third of six children to Calvin Judkins and songwriter Lula Mae Hardaway. He was born six weeks premature, which, combined with the oxygen-rich atmosphere in the hospital's incubator, resulted in a condition known as retinopathy of prematurity, in which the growth of the eyes is aborted and causes the retinas to detach, so he became blind. Wonder said in interviews that he has no real memory of having vision and uh, considers himself blind from birth. When Wonder was four, his parents divorced and he moved with his mom to Detroit, along with his other siblings. She changed her name back to Lula Hardaway and later changed his last name to Morris, partly because of relatives. He began playing instruments at an early age, including piano, harmonica, and drums. He formed a singing partnership with a friend, calling themselves Stevie and John, and they played on street corners and occasionally at parties and dances. In 1961, when he was 11 years old, Stevie Wonder got an opportunity to sing an original song of his called Lonely Boy to Ronnie White of the Miracles. Based on that performance, White took Stevie to an audition at Motown, and Barry Gordy signed him to Motown's Tamla label. Wonder was paired up with producer Clarence Paul, who gave him the name Little Stevie Wonder, and for a year they worked on two albums. The first one was called Tribute to Uncle Roy, although it was released second. And it's mostly covers of Ray Charles songs, but it also included this track, composed by Wonder and Paul, called Sunset. The other album was called The Jazz Soul of Little Stevie, and it was entirely instrumental. Most of the tracks were composed by Clarence Paul, but two of them were co-written with Stevie Wonder, including this one called Wondering. time for stevie to release a single and so he recorded a song called mother thank you but that track got pulled and instead he released this song written by barry gordy titled i call it pretty music but the old people call it the blues Incidentally, that's Marvin Gaye playing drums on this track. Now, Stevie Wonder's debut single was released in the summer of 1962, but failed to reach the top 100. In fact, it peaked at number 101. Two follow up singles also had no success, and what's more, the two albums didn't do very well either. So, the folks at Motown were getting a little frustrated because they knew they had a performer with a lot of talent, but they still weren't quite sure what to do with him to get him to break out. So, they sent him out on the Motortown Review at the end of 1962. This particular tour hit what was then called the Chitlin circuit, which was theaters across America that accepted black artists. And let me stop for a moment and give you a little background on how the show itself worked, because it'll be important later on. The traveling Motown artists had a standard band for some portions of the music, such as the horns. But other portions of the band would swap in and out based on the artist on the stage. So, for instance, Marvin Gaye often played drums, but if he's the one performing, then someone else would fill in for him while he sang. Or maybe an artist is just more comfortable with a specific keyboard player, so that musician would switch in when it was that artist's turn to perform. And because there were a lot of acts, there was a ton of activity on stage in between each performance. Each performer went on for about 10-15 minutes, and then there'd be some on-stage chatter while the band switched out, and then the next artist would come up, and so on. Right about now, ladies and gentlemen, we'd like to continue with our show. I introduce you a young man that's only 12 years old, and he is considered as being a genius of our time. Ladies and gentlemen, let you and I make him feel happy with a nice ovation as we meet and greet little Stevie Wonder. How about that? song taken from my album, The Jazz Soul of Little Stevie. The name of the song is called uh, Fingertips. Now I want you to clap your hand. Come on. Come on. Yeah. Stump your feet. Jump up and down. Do anything that you want to do. Now, according to uh, Barry Gordy's biography, To Be Loved, this particular Motortown review was used specifically to showcase a little Stevie Wonder and get him some name recognition. And as it happened, most of the performances were recorded. It was Stevie Wonder's March 1963 performance at the Regal Theater in Chicago that became the album that we know as the 12-year-old genius. Now as uh, Stevie mentioned in the recording, Fingertips appeared on the Jazz Soul of Little Stevie album, but that recording didn't really capture his energy and talent. But it's pretty clear that first, on this live recording, he's improvising a lot. And second, the crowd is really responding to him, which in turn is energizing Stevie enough that he starts improvising words to go along with his playing. Remember Fingertips was just an instrumental track, so when he's singing anything here, he's just making it up as he goes along to engage the crowd. So let's jump ahead in the record a little bit, because until now you haven't heard the part of the record that you've been expecting to hear. Everybody see, ya! Yeah! see ya! thing that works especially well for me anyway is that this half of the song has way more energy than the first half and it's pretty clear why people responded to it so strongly stevie's having fun the crowd is having fun the band is getting into it once again that's marvin Gaye just wailing away on the drums there the only person not having fun is the stage manager because the show is starting to run long Okay, we're gonna jump a little bit again. Now Wonder's performance is supposed to end here where he busts out a few notes from Mary Had a Little Lamb. But listen carefully to what's happening and then we'll go back and dissect it again. So goodbye. this is where the single typically fades out, but I'm going to let it play through for now. Okay, let's go through it again. He's winding down. In fact, he even sings goodbye. Come back, so goodbye. So here comes Mary Had a Little Lamb. And there's some fanfare so he can exit. So now you got the MC trying to hustle him off stage, and some of the band is switching out. But now Stevie comes back to the mic for a brief encore. Now listen very carefully. After the first piano note, you'll hear one member of the band asking, What key? What key? That's Joe Swift, the bass player for the Marvelettes. They were going on next. He just switched in, and he hadn't been playing up until then. So some of the members of the new band are the ones playing the encore. Motown put Fingertips out as a single with part one on one side and part two on the other. But if you have a copy of that 45, you'll learn that the two halves don't go together because part one comes from a different recording. And once again, the disc jockeys decided that the B-side was the better track and played that one and it became a number one song for Stevie Wonder, which made him at the time the youngest person ever to have a number one record on the charts. He was 13 years, 189 days old then, a record that held for several years depending on how you count. In 1970, the Jackson 5's I Want You Back topped the charts with Michael Jackson on the track. He was aged uh 11 years, 155 days. But Stevie Wonder still holds the record for a solo artist. The record was also number one on the R&B chart during the same week, which is the first time that that had ever occurred. But Stevie Wonder's success was far from assured. After Fingertips dropped off the charts, Motown still had some trouble packaging them, and they were on the verge of dropping them altogether from the label. The thing that saved him was the fact that his voice changed, and he was now a tenor. Based on a a riff that Wonder had devised, Clarence Paul and Sylvia Moy wrote, Uptight, Everything's all right, and that was the true start of his climb to stardom. And that's it for this edition of How Good It Is. If you want to get in touch with me, you can email me at howgoodpodcast at gmail.com or... You can follow me on Twitter at HowGoodItIsPod. You can also check out and follow the show's Facebook page at Facebook.com slash HowGoodItIsPod. Or you can check out the show's website, HowGoodItIs.com, where I throw in a few extra bits for you. Next time around, we're going to discover how good it is to hear some secret title tracks. Thanks so much for listening, and I will see you then.